Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your host, a filmmaker and competitive storyteller, Rain Bennett. What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling Lab, where we help you break down the art and science of storytelling. My name is Rain Bennett. I am your host, and my job is to help you deepen your connections, increase your sales, and serve your audiences better. Every Monday morning, I send out a storytelling tip to my email subscribers, and I talk about how I have used it in my own storytelling for my clients and for myself, and I leave you with tangible advice on how you can apply it to your strategies. If this sounds like something that would interest you, go ahead and sign up for the newsletter at rainbennett.com slash weekly storytelling tips. Again, that's rainbennett.com slash weekly storytelling tips. This podcast is a Six Second Stories production. Six Second Stories is a video marketing agency that helps you tell heartfelt stories to maximize your impact in minimal time. Find out more about what we do at SixSecondStories.com. What's up, storytellers? Welcome back to the Storytelling Lab podcast. This is episode 116. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been watching a movie? Let's say you're in the movie theater. It's dark. You got a little bit of popcorn. And you're watching a movie and you're completely entranced. Like, right? Nothing else around. You're not checking your phone. You're not paying attention to the people around you. You are locked in to this story, to this movie that you're watching. I'm sure you've been there. If you're like me and you go to the movies often, you've been there lots of times. Even if you've been to the movies once and it was a good movie, you know what I'm talking about. Now let's zoom out a little bit. Let's do notice the people that are around you. Have you ever been in a movie theater and it's one of these movies where, you know, the last blockbuster one that we've had is Top Gun Maverick, which just has done incredible numbers. And anybody that's watched it has sung its praises. So have you ever been watching a movie like that, for example, or anything that you're totally into that has a bunch of people in the theater at the same time and seeing all of you 
reacting in the same way, whether it's a tense moment, scary moment, or whether it's a, a victorious, joyous moment like in, like in Top Gun. But everybody is behaving the same way, and everyone is fully locked in looking at this brightly lit wall in front of us, right? When you see that, when you feel that, when you're a part of that, it's like a spell, right? Like people are under a spell. It seems like some magic spell that you're under. And we can point to the the neurology, the brain science, what's going on in people's brains when that is happening, and it's got you engaged. There is no debate about that, but it's not exactly magic. It is more like, I equate it to being more like gravity or some inexplicable force not inexplicable but like some force that's just like we can't really like it's just there and it's really hard to describe how and why it works and where it comes from right it's like it's not magic it's magnetic stories are magnetic they are a point of connection right just like magnetism when the first person who ever noticed that force existed probably thought it was some sort of magical thing that was happening just like when we see gravity it's just like this is a force that's beyond us right but it's not magic it is real it's science that is what stories are stories are not magic they are magnetic And today, my guest is Gabrielle Dolan, the author of Magnetic Stories, Connect with Customers and Engage Employees with Brand Storytelling. Gabrielle gets this. She understands the concept of how stories work and how they connect people. They draw you together. And yes, she understands that it feels like magic when you hear a great story and how you're enthralled and you are moved. You can't even control yourself, right? These Your dopamine is spiking. Your, beha- your behavior patterns are changing. Your brain chemistry is changing, right? It seems like you're under this magic spell, but she understands that it is a science and it is one that can be replicated because when you have a formula, you can replicate these things. Gabrielle helps people, leaders, business folk, understand how to use that formula and that's whether it's internal communication like engaging your employees and getting them you know to bond together behind a common goal or whether it's external communication and you're trying to connect with your customers and you're trying to sell your products and ideas and services or push and further your causes right generate donations or or grow your membership community she understands how to use the science and use the formula and more than that help you do that so that you can connect with your customers and engage your employees by using these magnetic stories so i had her on the podcast to talk about exactly what does that look like how did you figure this out how do you use it how do you approach it differently than others I learned from her the types of stories that businesses should be telling, the the types of stories that we overlook. There is one story that she tells at the end. So if anything else, just listen to this story because it will change your mind of, of how we approach brand storytelling and how it can go wrong. It's a story of Barbie and the, the, the company of Barbie and what it initially stood for and what we might think it stands for now. And she explains this in such a great way and it, it opens your eyes to understanding why it's so important for you to control the narrative of your story, your brand story, and you do that by telling your stories, right? You do that by sharing your stories. Then you control the 
that brand voice that's so important for us. We talk about this all the time. We've talked about it a lot this season. If you're going to continue to do work in the world that you love and you're trying to get people behind, this is information that you need. This is a skill you need to cultivate. And Gabrielle Dolan is a perfect person to walk you through that. We talk about how to use storytelling for training, how to use storytelling for presentations, and especially how to do it now when when we're tasked with doing so many virtual presentations. We talked about how personal stories are extremely effective in a professional setting if you understand the universal theme that you're trying to get across. We talked about how to use stories to be a leader, to be a great communicator, to have a stronger business. We talked about what stories that you should tell. All the things that you need to know for brand storytelling and more importantly, all the misconceptions are in this conversation. So no more delaying. Here's my conversation with Gabrielle Dolan, and I hope that you love it. As, as storytellers and people who love communication naturally do, we started already, you know, kind of uh, rolling into this, the topics yeah. that we love anyway. So uh, exactly. we're, here, we're here. So let's continue and on. And this is, this is one of the things I talk about. We, as humans, we just tell stories. Like, yeah. you know, we just connect and all of us, we're just telling story, 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 story. Mm-hmm. Um, but we get into business and go, oh, no, we can't tell stories. That's exactly. Professional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you just try to formulate everything so, you know, so strictly, so, so rigidly yeah. that it's just like, who? who are you talking to right now? You sound like a robot. (laughs) So I I often, and I understand why people want to know what they're getting into with any show, any podcast, any interview, but I often get that question about the questions, Mm. uh, you know, beforehand. And I'm like, we're just going to have a chat. I mean, you've, there's nothing you need to prepare. This is the work that you do. I'm not going to throw any curveballs your way, like, or hard questions. We're going to talk about what you love to do. So I just, I guess it comes from my documentary filmmaking interviewing styles i just like to have conversation and we start to unearth the beautiful things and we let it you know we let it take us where where it will but one of the questions i do like to ask and i know that you recently came out with uh with your most recent of seven books is that what you said now yeah six Uh, seven losing count (laughs) who knows anymore what's what what do you so we already kind of talked about the beginning of this year and we're still in this challenging uh uh stage state that we're in from the past two years of the pandemic but life and business doesn't stop so so my first question is is what are you looking forward to this year is there anything that you're excited about any changes that you've made what's the big project on your plate I love the fact that virtual training has become accepted that it works and it really works. And if, and if the facilitator and the presenter know how to change their style to do it virtually, it really works. It, it absolutely sucks when the presenter doesn't change their style, but um, so I'm, I'm excited that that's that that's going to be commonplace. And I think one of the really good things that will come out of this pandemic is um, that we realize we don't always need to be in the room. Now I, I have missed being in the room and I love being in front of people training, Mm -hmm. but what I'm looking forward to is that when we, that the rest of my delivery, whether it's workshops or keynote presentations, I reckon we're going to strike a balance of about 50-50. Some of it will be virtual and some of it will be in the room. And what that allows me to do is, yes, while I love traveling and I go into state and heading to America again in June, hopefully this year, 
um, there's a lot of flexibility that comes with working virtually. And we've we've got a um, we've got a property on the the New South Wales coast where we try to spend a lot of time. And you know, I'm looking at my diary, and there's two weeks in March where I just have two half day workshops, and I'm sort of going, I could just do it from there. So. I'm looking forward to that flexibility that's going to, a lot more flexibility that's going to come this year, I think. You said this thing about if they don't change the way they present when they're presenting virtually, it, it I, th- I guess you were implying it would be problematic. Is that fair? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what are some ways to engage people when you are virtual? Because I agree with you in person. I do miss that as well. And it's, it's hard to keep people engaged when you're in the room with them if you don't know what you're doing right if you're not you know so how do you have any suggestions for people because a lot of people are doing virtual uh, trainings virtual meetings etc what are some of those things they can do to improve that yeah it's um it's funny rain i'm about the the thing i'm doing straight after our interview today is i have to write an article for a newspaper and it's titled the 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 why virtual meetings suck yes yeah. <laughs> like and virtual delivery and i i think it comes down there's you know there's like a fork in the road where you're about now whether you're about to present just to your team or whether you've got to run a training workshop or you're doing a presentation mm-hmm. and it's virtual there's a decision that i reckon people make and they go it's only virtual so i don't need to prepare as much and from that point <laughs> It's just a downward spiral. Dang, that's a good um, point. Yeah. And what, and so, but when I speak to people, they go, it's so much harder to engage people virtual. And I go, yes, it is. Well, like, that, like, that's a fact. So, what do you need to do differently? So, I think the first thing is your mindset as a presenter. Treat this as you would if you were there in person. Um, so, a, a couple of tips. If I'm running a workshop or doing a presentation, I stand the entire time I stand. And I can run, you know, I run like half day workshops on storytelling. I run half day workshops on how to present better. And at the end, someone will go, have you been standing the whole time? And I go, yes. And I go, because if we were doing this in person, I would be standing the whole time True. so first so when you stand when you're presenting it brings you a lot more energy you can move around a bit um you can get that sort of same dynamic that you can when you're um in person that's one one tip the other tip is look at the camera and that this is really hard to do because our natural tendency mm-hmm. is to look at the person on screen but when i'm looking at you on screen I'm actually not looking into your eye. So you've got to train yourself to look at the camera, which makes eye contact with people um, as opposed to looking down at them, which is what you're doing. So you think you're looking at them because you're looking at them, right. but but they're not. It, it's like, it's, and again, if it was in person and someone was constantly just looking down, it would be, you'd be going, why are they not making eye contact? It's, it would be weird. So mm-hmm. those things, you know, eye contact makes connection and it's harder to do virtually. Mm-hmm. And there's a, look, there's a whole other little techniques you can do to try to get people engaged, have the chat open. People go, I don't like having the chat because it's a disruption. It's like, well, you're the presenter, you, know, you be the professional in the room and have the chat going and, and use that to get people engaged. So Look, this so it is hard. It is hard, but you, you've got to you've got to adopt a whole few tips and techniques to mm-hmm. make it better and, for them. And practice. I mean, when you said this thing about the chat, 
I remember the first time I did a Facebook live and that really threw me off when the questions were coming in, coming in, coming in because they, they popped up in a weird way. I was on my cell phone on a, on a Facebook live, but it really, it triggered me because I was losing control. And I remember when the questions started coming in, that kind of threw me off in just the manner that they did. And, and I got through it, but I know that it wasn't great. And it just takes yeah. time to get used to that, but that's a part of it. That's so part of it. And, that, and yeah. And rain, that's one of the things I teach is like practice. If like, if you're using technology and you want to do breakout rooms, practice how to do it. So you're not, you know, on the call going, Oh, hang on a minute. How do that's I do the this? Worst, and that, isn't it? It's the worst. <laughs> and, and, and your face, I've realized that people's concentration, no one has a good concentration face. No. Like, you, you you look at your face in the mirror when you're concentrating. It's ugly. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. You, and it's like it's not it's not a good look. So yeah, you practice like just like you got to practice looking at the camera. You got to practice the technology. You got to practice using it. Um, it's so important. Um, and then also too, when you're the other the other now tricky thing presenting virtually, you can be presenting to people in the room and you're in the room, but you've got people dialing in. So that hybrid model, um, that's a whole, like, you know, how do you get them engaged? Because most of the time they're just ignored, but how do you actively get them engaged in the room mm-hmm. too? So, good point. so when you, you went to school and you studied or you, and I think you got, you said you got a job in, in the computer world, computer mm-hmm. operators, we said, and even your, you said your daughter's one went to ag science. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And, so she wants to become a vet. Um, and so there's a couple of ways. So she's doing ag science, uh, uh, and hopefully that's the way into vet veterinary. And and the other was into political. She's into, yeah, she's into global politics and international. So she's doing a, she's doing a master's degree, but majoring in politics and international studies. Now, were you, was that, did you pursue that in the computer world, were you kind of a science mind? Is that what you what you took to? What are you laughing about? Um, <laughs> you already um, told us you failed English, so I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so Rain, I, I, no, no, I'm science. So how this happened is I, um, I did my final two years of school, uh-huh. and I, I, I mean, I was I was a pretty good student up until the final two years of school. I don't know. I, it's a stupid thing no, to be I a really good it. student, and then I don't know what happened. You're so ready but, to know, be gone. You're so ready to be yeah, gone by that point. Yeah. I, I was there. Yeah, and I was really good at maths. So I I got one of the highest marks in maths in year 10. Um, and then I so I took up the two math subjects, like the advanced math subjects, and I um I, I failed both of them. <laughs> like so I had to take up another subject. And one of the subjects they had just started offering was computer studies. And like I'd never heard of it. Lot of, but I thought it's new and, you know, there was all this talk about computers. Right. So I, I did, I literally did computer studies for one year at school. It was like the most basic, basic of computer programming. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, when I saw all these jobs, they were all trainee computer operators. And the fact that I had done computers at school literally guaranteed me a job, Um and that's how I started. And I, and so, yeah, I was, I was in sort of that IT industry for about 10 years or so. I, I mm-hmm. never really loved it. I love the people and I love mm-hmm. the work. I just wasn't really into computers that much. When did it shift? Where did you, when did it change? When did you leave? Um, so I stayed, I worked, I had a few jobs and then I worked for one of Australia's largest banks and it was, I was still in the, in the, um, 
IT, mm-hmm. you know, as a computer operator. But I there was sort of this um, job, not a job, but it was sort of you did it as part of your job where you looked after the training for your shift. We're all, you know, we did shift work. Mm-hmm. And I really loved that. I really loved working, sitting down with people and go, okay, so what do you need training in? What do you need more exposure in? And I would, you know, I got right into it. I'd be doing spreadsheets and I'd be calculating how much percentage time people spend in different areas. And I love that. And I would be going, talking to the training department going, okay, I've got someone on the team that would really love stuff on project management or Excel and I'd source it. And I started to think, this is what I really like doing. It's helping people develop. Um, So it was when I was about 28, I went back to university and did an associate diploma of education and training. And, And at the bank, at the same organization, I then transferred into training looking after training for IT. And, and from then I progressed into actually designing leadership programs and starting to deliver leadership programs and then moved into more senior roles and into some change management roles. And that's, that's so I, sort of when I started to discover the power of storytelling. Exactly. In those roles. I, I see the writing on the wall there. You started getting into to leadership, to training, communications, presentations, and then it started to emerge, I imagine. Do you remember when that that light bulb went off when you started seeing like, okay, to be effective, because it sounds like you had a lot of trial and error and understanding and you knew jobs with more responsibilities, but they started getting really into that communication aspect. Did you really, did you just do it? Did you read about it? There was, there was probably a couple of times where I shared a story, a personal story in a presentation and noticed the impact it had. And I, I remember, I, I remember one time and it wasn't, I was doing, I was involved in a massive change project that was, um, it went for two years, this project. And when we were rolling it out and telling everyone, you know, it's going live and this is mm. what we're doing. I put a picture of my daughter up on the front, on the front, the front thing. And she was, Alex was about 18 months. And I'm going, oh, this is my daughter, Alex. She's very cute, isn't she? She's, you know, and I was, and like I was, I spoke about her for about 30 seconds, knowing people would be going, why is she showing a picture of her daughter? And I knew they'd be thinking that. And then I would go, the reason I'm showing you this is because when I started on this project, I was six weeks pregnant. And that's when everyone goes, oh, wow. And that, that stood that this has been going for a long time. If I had just said, you know, we've been working on this for two years, it would have been whatever. I I still see people now, like 20 years on, and ask me how Alex is. So it's like, so there was a couple of times I tried it and then I saw someone else try it. And then I just started to think, I think there's something in this. And right. then I actually did research it. And there was a um, there was a guy called Stephen Denning who'd written a book on storytelling, he was a, um, a senior exec at the World Bank. Um, he, he was a, 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 he's an Australian, but he was in America most of his working career. And there was a couple of other books, and I just I just sort of thought, I think teaching people how to tell stories is an absolute skill. Like they, you've got to learn how to do this properly. And because of my background in a leadership in change management, but also in designing and delivering leadership programs. I just sort of thought, mm, I think I could probably do this. So um, 
that was going in my mind a mm-hmm. little bit that I would think that I think I could do this. And then, um, you know, several restructures at the organization and there was a red, you know, a retrenchment package on the table for me after 17 years. And I just decided to take it. And, and that was almost, almost to the day that was 17 years ago. So I was, I was in corporate for 17 years and, and almost to the day I've been 17 years out. And I just decided, I, I think I can teach people storytelling and, um, It'd be fair to say things were a bit quiet 17 years ago, Rain, because storytelling. Well, that's this is this is why I asked that question. Because now, like there, I was telling my mom this weekend, we were on a little vacation together. I was like, there are chief storytelling officers now. And she was like, What? So yeah, yeah I mean, brand storytelling, business storytelling, storytelling in general is a is very common. You know, some people would call it a buzzword now. But I was thinking in, in those days, I was like, what led you to that? Because it, it, I know it wasn't as common, common knowledge as it seems to be now. No, like I would like, seriously, I would have people just go storytelling in business. Like, are you mad? Like, yeah. what, why would we do that? And, and I still, um, so yeah, it, it, now it's really common. So, okay. This is a great, a great point that to, for a question then. Why would we do that? Why do we do that? Because I was, it's, I'm going to tell you, when I first started doing this, my mum said to me, so what do you mean you have to teach people how to tell stories? Yes, I and, and I went, and she goes, because wouldn't we, wouldn't they just do that naturally? And I go, yeah, <laughs> mum, we do do it naturally. But when, when people go into business, they go, oh, I can't tell a story oh, I will just do all my bullet points and facts and script everything to an inch of its life. So we we come almost, um, whether the term's robotic or we depersonalize. We think we, because it's in business, that we need to depersonalize it. Seriously, the person who ever said business is not personal is an idiot. Yeah, like agree. We, we are, per, we are we people. people. <laughs> We're people. <laughs> what is stupid. And, but that, but, you know, like, <laughs> 20 years ago, that was, you know, mm-hmm. don't take it personally. It's business. It's um, so we've removed all emotion. We've removed this, this thing of uh, to be professional. We can't show any feelings. Right. We've just, and we use corporate jargon. We use these, you know, we're running things up flagpoles and we're operationalizing and visualizing and strategizing and pivoting and moving the needle and, thinking outside the square and this is the way we talk and we think that's effective um we're addicted to acronyms like the amount of acronyms we use so when you're talking in acronyms and jargon and saying stuff without really saying what you mean um people don't get it and they go and connect with it and and as humans we connect with stories and when we connect with the story and the storyteller and that's you know, when you're in business and you're trying to lead change or you're trying to, um, you know, uh, get get your people engaged in your values, actually trying to attract really great people to work for you, you've you got to have a connection for, to do that. Mm-hmm. I suppose that those business people years ago, and some still now, I imagine, think of storytelling as just, they don't think of that's the way we naturally communicate like your mother did, but they probably think that's like, 
story time, you know, like when you read to the kindergartners, to the children, you know, and you have and you have story time. I think that's what a lot of people picture it as or even just telling stories around the campfire. But they don't mm. they struggle or at least historically to understand how it's used in leadership and training and communication and, so, and that sort of thing. And I think it's because that's the way they view storytelling or at least did in the past is like, that's just playful, like things, you know, a teacher does with a, a kid. Yeah. Um, so what is the difference? We hear this term brand storytelling now. So, so much uh, storytelling and brand storytelling have become quite popular in, in, in the marketing world and terminology. What is the difference if anything in brand storytelling and what we might call real storytelling or fiction storytelling or or like the story time with the children around the campfire is there a difference if so what is the difference in brand storytelling and just fictional storytelling yeah um look i think i think there is a difference um i think one of the things i talk about is when you're sharing stories in business because again you're right some people go oh once upon a time stuff or right exactly or i don't have time for that like you know, <laughs> i don't have time for a story it was like okay well we've got time to present another boring powerpoint presentation exactly. that doesn't seem to stop anyone um so and so i think it's the way it's delivered so first of all be really crystal clear on your purpose, like why are you sharing the story? And one of the mistakes people make is they try to put too many messages into their story. Sure. So it's got to be one message per story. The other thing is how you deliver it or the time. It's got to be really succinct. So, again, some people go, I don't have time for a story because they're vision of stories or what their experiences in the past is a leader getting up there or someone getting up there and just going on and on and on. And yes. that's not effective. So that's not effective in business either. It's like, they've got to be really succinct and get to the point. The, the, the key though is one message per story. So when it comes to brand storytelling, where I see a lot of companies go wrong is they think it's one story. So I I've had potential clients come to me and say, can you help us develop our brand story? And I go, what, you think it's just one story? Like, like it's just one story is going to deliver your brand. Um, and that's the mistake people make because what, what it ends up being, it ends up being that waffly statement that really doesn't say much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. So when I, um, it rained. All, all my previous books have been how individuals sort of use stories in business. So whether it's communicating their values or it's whether it's communicating change messages or whether it's just communicating, you know, general messages in business, like we want to communicate like teamwork or diversity inclusion or anything like that. Mm -hmm. The latest book, Magnetic Stories, does have that external focus. So it's, it's all the different types of stories that mm -hmm. companies or organizations and whether you're a one person organization or a small or a large multinational, all the different types of stories that you should be using to communicate your brand um, because it's not just one. One of the bits of feedback I get, not feedback that I get personally, or, or people always like to throw up resistance, right? Hey, you should tell stories. Well, but this dot, dot, dot. So one of those pieces that I hear all the time from people, especially in business, is I'm not creative, right? Or I don't have a creative bone in my body, which I think is BS. I think it's a, it's a muscle, 
and you have to train it. That's what I tell, you know, if I'm leading a workshop, but I do understand that if you are inexperienced in create, I've been a, I've been a storyteller, filmmaker, writer, I've been an artist, you know, my whole life. So I'm comfortable in that environment. I do understand the issue of like, if I've never done this before that it, I can't just go write a great story. I get that. So I know that lots of times, and this applies to really anything that we're learning, a framework, you know, the basics, the foundation is needed. And I know that you have some that, that in magnetic stories that you use. So for someone who's like, okay, I get it. I get why storytelling would be good for our business. I get there's not just one brand story, but I still am struggling with how to tell a story. You help us out with a framework that that, that person could use. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, and you're right. I get that a lot. I'm not creative. And it was like, totally. well, first of all, you don't need to be creative to tell stories. So what I do, and I, I might, one of the main things I do, Rain, is I go into organizations and work with their leaders mm -hmm. to help them share personal stories around their company values. So when, when I look at brands, what is brand? To me, brand is your values. What, yeah. what do you want to be known for? It's like, it's so... So leaders have to share value. So I might I might use an example because I think an please, example will please. help really bring it to life. So I take them through a really linear logical process. So I love it when I'm getting a briefing and I've got to go in and, and they go, they're all, they're all engineers. So they're all logical. I went, great, because I take them through a very logical process. So, um, you know, sometimes being creative is just taking people through a process to see what pops out the other the other end of I've got a couple of friends who are great brand and great marketers and they've always said being told they're really creative and they go we're not really creative instead of just coming up with two ideas we come up with a hundred ideas and there's more chance you're gonna you know get a better yeah. one so yeah. the pro this is the process I take them through first of all I want them to at a personal level understand what the value means to them. So remember yes. I said one message, only have one message in your story. So let's let's take something, a company value like integrity, mm -hmm. right? Most companies would have some version of integrity, doing right. the right thing. They're going to call it whatever you want, but ultimately it's around integrity or doing the right thing. So I sit down with the leaders and I'll, I'll ask them to, you know, I, I'll just pick one of them. So I'll go, so um, tell me what, integrity means to you personally and they'll go um it means doing the right thing okay yeah what else does it mean uh it means telling the truth okay yeah what else and then they'll go hmm you put me on the spot here i haven't really thought about it before okay these are the senior leaders senior leaders who mm -hmm. haven't spent more than 20 seconds thinking about the company values. So I get them to drill down. And I remember I did this with one person, her name was Anne. And she said the same thing, like uh, telling the truth. If you say you're going to do something, do it. And I just keep pushing. What else does it mean? What else does it mean? What else do it mean? And then you'll get that little light bulb moment where they go, you know what it really means? It means doing the right thing all the time. She goes, I think we're really good at doing the right thing when it suits us but doing the right thing all the time. She goes, it's a little bit like that saying, do the right thing, even if no one's watching. So right. you, all of a sudden you get to what it really means to them. Now, when I see that, when I see people going, this is what it really means to me. Like it could be, you know, if you say you're going to do something, do it. There's a spark there. There's a, there's a reason why that's important to them. So then the process is like asking them, I ask them quite a few questions to try to help them find stories. And it normally is, 
why is that, you know, why is that important to you? Like, were you raised that way? Were your pet? And then you know what they'll do, right? They'll automatically tell me a story. They'll go, yeah, I remember when I was a kid, I said I was going to do something and I didn't do it. And my mum dragged me out and I got in trouble and I got grounded. And, and so it stuck with me my entire life. And you go, bingo, there's your story. So you've got a story. So I then do take them through the process of how you start your story, what you put in the middle and how you end it because you just don't want to be waffling. So in this example, I'll, sh- I'll share the story that um, this woman started to share around the value of integrity. She said, when I was a kid, I grew up, uh, no, sorry, <laughs> I'm sharing the wrong story. She said, in the early 60s, my dad was a professional swimmer. And he reached the point in his career where he actually tried out for the national swim squad. Mm. And on the day of the meet, he was apparently winning his race and he got to the end and did the tumble turn. And for whatever reason, he misjudged it and he he missed the wall. Now, this was in the early 60s, so there was no sensors and they had judges, but with all the splashing and kicking, he probably knew they didn't know if he missed the wall or not, but he had to make a split second decision. Does he go back and touch the wall or does he just keep swimming? And he decided to go back and touch the wall. Now, you don't really recover from that. And, and he didn't recover from that. And there's probably for a whole lot of other reasons besides just that. But he didn't make, make the squad. And I would often sometimes say to dad, do you ever regret going back and touching the wall? And he'd say, I've never regretted that. Because if I didn't go back and touch the wall, I'd have to spend the rest of my life knowing I did the wrong thing. And I'm sharing this with you because it reminds me of our value integrity. It's only a matter of time before we will come across our own go back and touch the wall moment. And I invite you to consider what my dad would do. So I I just thought, you know, just what does that story do for you? What does that story tell you about, you know, this woman? Yeah. So she, um, Anne shares that story as part of her Whenever someone works for her new, she shares the story. Whenever she goes into a new team or even a new organization, their value might be integrity, but it's probably something similar. And it doesn't matter because it's her value. Yes. That story is so powerful because through that story, you go, she was raised this way. This is, this, this is in her blood. This is, um, and you can trust that that's, that's what she is like. So um and I take them through the process and I guarantee you at the end pops all these really powerful stories that not only help you get your message across as a leader, but people connect with you. They, they trust you more. They it strengthens the relationship, which is all the added benefit of sharing personal stories that every time you do it, you are strengthening a relationship and whether that's in a leadership role or in a sales role or in a, you know, just an influencing role with your clients, you're strengthening relationships. You know, I love, I love the title of your, of your new book. There's a line that I say, sometimes I probably probably started off as just a tweet, but you know, when stories work and when they connect with people and influence people and inspire people to take action, it can seem like magic at times at times and i just simply said stories aren't magic they're magnetic they pull Mm. you in so i love that that's you know the name of your book so now that a business storyteller marketer business owner whomever understands the structure to follow and how to implement that into their strategy what how do they tell a magnetic story how do they take it to the next level what are those next uh 
pieces of the story puzzle that really make it powerful. That's a word that you just use when you, when you were talking about yeah. stories, like what's, how do they make it really good? Yeah. Um, it's a, a side story rain. And I love the fact that you used to say stories are magnetic. I, I, when I was looking for a title for the book, I, you know, you go through so many versions of your title. Of course. Of book. I wanted my whole, my whole concept is exactly what you were saying is once you hear a really good story, mm-hmm. it's like this, this instant connection, like this mm-hmm. instant connection, you're connected, bang. That's pretty hard to pull away from. It's pretty hard to forget. It's pretty hard to forget how you felt when you felt that. So what's that? And that's when I thought of magnetic, like it, it's like instant attraction um, that's hard to pull away for. Um, my husband came in at one point and said, I've got the perfect name for your book. And I went, okay, what? And he went, Teflon stories. And I went, that is the complete opposite <laughs> of, of what you want a story to be. I go, Teflon, he's not, he's not a cook, right? I go, Teflon's the non-stick. It doesn't stick. And he went, oh, yeah, actually that is. <laughs> and so, but God love him for trying to help me. But also now what I say, how do you make your stories more magnetic and yeah. less Blonde, yeah, right? well, that's the thing is like I, he almost inadvertently or indirectly influenced the name of it because it's the exact opposite. Exact opposite. So it's, it's yeah. almost like now they've got a scale. Magnetic think, stories are really good. Teflon are I think crack. he was probably on the right path, but you know how like opposites really are very close. You know, yeah. they're just the opposite side of the coin. So I think that his mind was on the right path, but he just chose the wrong side. You know, he flipped the coin and it landed on tails instead of heads. That's funny. So it is. So, yes. And, and God bless his heart. Um, <laughs> I think I might have said that. I went, oh, bless. It's like, oh. Um, so my, my thing is, I guess, don't try to go how I've got this story and how do I make it magnetic and amazing and powerful? Mm. Because that's what I think what we tend to do then is exaggerate the story or make it bigger than what it is or think I've just got this little personal story about when I was a kid growing up or when I did this and it doesn't seem big enough. And so we doubt ourselves that this will be have an impact because we think it's not big enough. Mm -hmm. I would say that they are the ones that have the greatest impact and they are the ones that will potentially be magnetic. Now you don't know you like, you could have a story and you could think it'd be really good. And you actually don't know if it's going to be magnetic or Teflon (laughs) until you probably say it. But if, if it's create, if it's personal, if it in some way connects on a personal level, people by default, and this is why stories are so powerful and there's all this science into this, we actually remember it. So we feel something and we remember it. it and, that's, and that's what a story does. It helps us, it helps it tap into emotion. Um, and therefore we, we feel something and we remember it. But we don't, when I say tap into emotion, we're not trying to get it all emotional and get people really... Right emotional i i read a um i read a linkedin post a couple of weeks ago and i don't know who it was from and someone just said the four stories that everyone needs and the first story they said was the tearjerker and i immediately thought that is crap like that if you're going i'm going to have a story that's deliberately designed to be the tearjerker that is manipulation to me mm-hmm. so it should always be this is a story that's going to help me communicate this message whether it's a personal value or something else if it happens to be more emotional than others and people get you know a bit teary okay that's fine sure um you can but because you can yeah. 
But if you're deliberately trying to go, oh, I'm mm-hmm. going to make this really a real tearjerker, that to me That's is coming icky. from, yeah. Well, because your yeah. goal, your motivation is off, right? You're yeah, not trying exactly. to solve someone's problem or bring people together or, you know, this is uh, the the focus, your target is, 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 yeah, is yeah. you're coming, you're coming genuine. Yeah, exactly. So it's not genuine. It's, it's, it's just coming from a very mm. weird place around storytelling because the point is, um, Rain, I could, I could, you know, you, we could share a story and there could be a hundred people in the room. Mm-hmm. Some people will really connect with it and relate yes. with it. And, so, and some people won't. And that's fine. And that's you, okay. You, yeah. That's okay. You're not going to get a, you know, people go, well, what, you won't get 100%. No, you don't get 100 When we communicate now, we don't get 100%. We don't even get anywhere near that. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to have some people that sort of go, I, I just, no, I didn't get it. I did like, and for whatever reason, that's fine. And totally. they could just be having a bad day. So I think if you, the, but having said that, and this is a long answer to your question, how do you make it magnetic? The more personal <laughs> it is, and, and when I say personal, again, it's not your deepest, darkest fears and right. showing showing massive vulnerabilities. But if you're prepared to show some vulnerability, if you're prepared to sort of say, yeah, I just didn't get that right, um, people connect with that. And, you know, like, like the amazing work that Dr. Brené Brown's done is when we show vulnerability, mm-hmm. people um, really respect and admire that. And, mm-hmm. and it takes courage to do it because we're so reluctant to do it. And especially in leadership roles, because there's some leaders out there who are still clinging to the outdated tradition that as a leader, you need to be right all the time and you need to have all the answers. You don't. Not at all. And to your point, <clears throat> you made a point earlier where you're like, we were saying the old adage of it's business, not personal, but that's ridiculous because we're all people. So of course it's personal. When you tell a personal story, the people listening are also people. So even if it, you know, even if it's just to connect with them, that's, I think that's important, but you know, it, it, even though it's with, even though it's business, we're all still people. So telling a personal story makes sense because there are other persons in the yeah. audience listening and so that's yeah what absolutely and and if people are interested in you know there is a huge amount of science and research done by done by some very very smart neuroscientists like mm-hmm. way smarter than you and me rain combined really. i've had some of them on the show yeah <laughs> they they the research shows that again of sharing a personal story the, the listener connects with the story but connects with the storyteller and you know that is leadership. That is what you're trying to do. You're trying to, you're trying to connect with people and get them engaged and get them inspired and get them excited about what you're trying to do and get them wanting to work for you. It's just, to me, it's a no brainer that why would you not share stories in business? All right. I have one final question. Uh, We know that there's more than one brand story now. We know that the tearjerker should not be one of the stories that you must tell <laughs> or whatever the clickbait headline said. Um, and I know you have alluded to the kinds of stories uh, and it's in your book. So I don't want to give it all away. But I also know through working with clients that like I, I asked the story structure question because people people need help if they're not used to doing this all the time. Same with virtual presentations, right? You got to practice. So can you give us one of the types or typical stories that that businesses can tell that like today if someone were listening to this show or when it comes out that they could go and they could start to craft a certain story that tends to resonate with people in their in their in their business 
Yeah, sure. So look, um, I do, I do talk about the five stories and, you know, we're not yeah. giving anything away, but you know, their, <laughs> their creation challenge community customer, the, the example I just gave around, uh, you know, the, in, the integrity, sharing a personal mm-hmm. story around integrity. That's one of the, one of the stories in the book is culture stories. So right. this is our culture. What are our values and what, Get your leaders, get people in the organization sharing personal stories around those values to bring them to life. Now, again, whether this is large multinationals or even if it's just you, even if you're an entrepreneur, what are your values? Or even as an individual leader, like when it comes to brand storytelling, it it could be at an individual level too. What are your values and have personal stories about why that's important to do? So culture's one. The other one I'll talk about, and it's probably perhaps the easiest place to start, is what I call the creation story. Hmm. Now, this is this could be uh, if it's a company, like why did the company start, but or also why did we develop a product? So hmm. that's a creation story. Now, sometimes it's connected to your values. It's one of the easiest places to start, but the one of the biggest mistakes people make is they stop there. They think their brand story is just why the company started. Right, right, right. Okay. Now, don't don't fall into the trap of uh, giving a timeline. So a timeline of the company True. is not, is not a story, but it, it's why this, you know, why, why are you doing what you're doing? So when I talk about why I'm doing what I'm doing, why I started my company, it's like, I will often go, I could see leaders trying to do the right thing, but getting really, really frustrated because they weren't getting their message across. And I had been on the other end of the transaction and being bored like or, or not understanding, going to meeting after meeting, presentation after presentation, and getting bored and not understanding. So I saw fr- the frustration on both sides of people trying to do the right thing. So I talk about, you know, this is why I started to do what I do. But it could be also a product. It's you know why a right. um, why you started to do a product. So I, I, I'll share. We got time for one more story, yeah, right? Absolutely. Okay. So this is um, this is in the book, and it's it's. Um, I get a lot of comments about this book, but I, when I was growing up, I was a bit of a tomboy. I never, I wasn't into dolls. I, I was into riding skateboards and my BMX bike and playing football and stuff. And I, and so I never had a Barbie, never had a Barbie. And over the last couple of decades where Barbie has got a bit of a bad rap of being a bad role model for girls and an yes. unattainable body image. I happily went along with that story to the point when I had my two daughters, I never bought them a Barbie. And I think I even told people not to buy them a Barbie. Hence my objection was so strong to that brand. And then in researching for the book, I actually came across the backstory of Barbie. And the backstory is that Barbie was invented by Ruth Handler, who was the wife of one of the senior execs at Mattel who, who produced Barbie. Mm-hmm. And it was in the 50s. In the 50s, she had two children. She had a boy and a girl named Ken and Barbara. And, yes, mm-hmm. Ken and Barbie are named after her kids. But what she noticed when they were playing with their respective dolls, Ken could see himself as an astronaut, as a superhero, Barbara could only ever see herself as a caregiver. That's Mm. what the dolls were. So she pitched this idea of a 3D doll with clothes that they could dress up to be anything. And, you know, she got a clearly would have got a lot of pushback, but persisted. Mm -hmm. And in 1959, um, Barbie debuted at the New York Toy Fair. And there's a quote from Ruth Handler that says, my whole philosophy with Barbie was that through the doll, 
the little girl could be anything she wanted to be, that Barbie has always been around the fact that women have choices. Now, I, I read that and you talk about a magnetic story that mm-hmm. completely changed my opinion of the brand. It will, it will absolutely change or potentially change my future buying habits. If I mm-hmm. ever have grandchildren, I, they might get a Barbie. But what, but Rain, what surprised me is like that story should be front and center on every Barbie package because that message is still relevant now. And the, any most people that read my book and then give me feedback, you know, as an author, you want, oh, I love the style, I love it, love it. The first thing they say to me, you completely change my opinion of Barbie. So there's that that's story. Awesome. So that's the creation story of why the product created. Um, and we shouldn't lose them. And I, I think that story has been lost along the way. I, I love that. Um, <clears throat> I told you earlier, that I have a three and a half, almost four-year-old daughter, and we play footy in the backyard a lot. She's quite good. Uh, and our neighbor had seen us and she got her a, a soccer Barbie. So that, that, that makes me think of that because I feel that way too. I mean, I want my daughter to be whatever she wants to be, but uh, I like to show her different things. We go camping, we play sports, you know, we do a lot of, uh, of different things other than just typical girly things which whatever Mm. that means so i loved getting that that soccer barbie because it's like hey that's what that's what i support so i love hearing this story because i agree with you like it did have this image that i wasn't really a part of either now that i know that story and now that it's backed up with having she has multiple barbies now one of them Mm. is football barbie one of them is malibu barbie driving in a pink convertible you know and both of those are okay yeah i love that it changed uh changed the whole image behind it yeah and yeah. it wouldn't have if you didn't share the story yeah and 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 to me if you want a definition of a magnetic story that's it people that's go it. instantly connect with it and it's it's um i always talk about when you're sharing stories in mm-hmm. business you're not just sharing them for the fun of it you're not just sharing that you're sharing them for a specific purpose mm-hmm. and that is normally again in when we're talking about leaders is to inspire action it's to either get people right. to do something different think something different or actually exactly. feel something different exactly. and and a story and that story will do that so you know if you're trying to get change people's behavior in line with your values share a story to get them to think something different feel something different or do something different there we go well gabrielle thank you so much for spending some time with me today and thank you for sharing your story with me thanks ryan we've had a ball absolutely we'll see you next time my name is rain bennett Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. If you're already a subscriber and you're enjoying the show, give us a review and let us know the value that you've gotten from it. We love to hear from our listeners and learn about the benefits that they're getting from the show. That's what fuels us and that's what fuels the show. And if you've already subscribed and you've already reviewed it and you think there's someone else that would benefit from listening to this show, please, please share it with them. The more we grow, the more we can help you grow, and that's what we're here to do. Join us next time on the Storytelling Lab. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, 
a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.